0: So our guest today on the University Great Minds series podcast is Captain David Marquet. I've gotten to know David over the last couple of years. His uh, his story is absolutely fascinating. This is a guy who um, was in charge of the coolest piece of equipment on the planet, <laughs> which was a, a nuclear submarine. There's just nothing cooler than that. I don't know that I want to spend a whole lot of time in it, but... Uh, but uh, knowing what that thing can do or at least part of what that thing can do is, is a remarkable thing. David uh, wrote a book a couple of years ago called Turn the Ship Around, and, uh, which told the story of his life in, in the Navy and some of the principles that he learned in, uh, in truly transitioning a, uh, uh, a naval boat from uh, one of the worst performing ships in the Navy to one of the best. Uh, David's book was, uh, was Forbes Business Book of the Year. And um, we uh, at an university did an animation, a marketing piece for David, um, and that thing is unbelievable. I, I think there's uh, – I looked this morning on our site, there's about 365,000 views on it, and you've got another couple hundred thousand. I know we're well over uh, 600,000 views, uh, and so that was a great opportunity for us to tell your story, David, and, and uh, we just appreciate you sharing it with us. I would love for our listeners to to just hear – some of your story and uh, and what happened to you and how you responded to that. Yeah. All right, well, thanks Jerry and uh, welcome everyone to the show.
1: Yeah, so my story is um it's pretty simple. I was an expert quote unquote in leadership. I was you know really good at telling people what to do and and getting them to do it and doing what I was told. And I had this experience where I was I got selected to be the captain of a nuclear submarine which was really my you know it was like a dream for me it's a great job and the navy trained me for a year for a certain submarine and then at the very last minute I got shifted to the Santa Fe and the Santa Fe we would jokingly say it was the Enron of submarines because it was (laughs) it was horrible you know they had the reputation of being you know things would break they had Bad inspection scores, and everyone hated being there. They were at the bottom of the fleet in terms of keeping people on board. Only three sailors of the 35 sailors who are typically eligible
0: to re-enlist every year re-enlisted. And you got to get about half.
1: That's sort of the standard
0: number. So we're going to come back and talk about that in a little bit and how that relates to businesses that are poor performing where morale is horrible and everybody hates what they're doing and (laughs) how big is the door and how fast can I get there? But anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, no. Um,
1: and so, uh, the, the captain was supposed to be there. The captain on Santa Fe was supposed to be there for another year, but he, he abruptly quit. The Navy said, we can't have a submarine without a captain. They took me, uh, because I'd gone through the, quote, training, even though it was for a different ship, and they th- put me on the Santa Fe. And the Santa Fe was one of the newest uh, ships in the fleet, and the equipment was all different. Long story short, I, I very promptly gave an order, which sh- could not be performed on the, on the submarine. It was basically the equivalent of saying, let's you know shift the car into fifth gear, but the car only had four gears. <laughs> and, and, the, uh, and the thing that was really shocking was the officer ordered it. I suggested and the officer ordered it. And then the the junior uh, the junior guy on the crew said, w- w- you know, what are you guys talking about? I can't do that on this ship.
0: So this is a bad moment for you. This yeah. is uh, – yeah. everybody sitting on <laughs> the deck realizes, yeah. okay, you yeah. – we,
1: we got a new captain. And oh, by the way, he's a bonehead. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that was kind of embarrassing. And I thought about it for a minute. And my instinct was to say, well, darn, I just need to really give better orders. I need to know the ship." Well, and I need to conform to this a mindset of no all tell all leadership. I, you know, the boss knows everything and sure. gives all the orders. And you know, I thought about that for a couple minutes, and I, um it was just something about that that just didn't seem to work because it's so the summary is so complicated. There was no way I was going to like. Know the ship in any sort of reasonable time. We would be dead before that happened. Mm-hmm. And I got my guys together, I said, What do you guys think? And uh, one of them said, Well, you know, Captain, how about this? How about you just keep your mouth shut? I was like, What? You know, and I'm thinking, Well, this kid has not seen too many submarine movies. That's not what submarine <laughs> captains do. And, uh, but I thought about it and I said, You know what? Let's try that. Okay. So I, as the captain, I am not going to give you guys any orders, I'll give you intent hey, here's what we're trying to achieve, and then you guys give me the particulars of how you're going to achieve it. So I give you intent, and then you come back to me. Don't ask permission. Don't give me problems without solutions. Just say, I, quote, intend to. I intend to submerge a ship. I intend to load a torpedo. I intend to reposition the submarine uh, northeast of of this island. And that was really scary for me because... Uh, you know, I'm giving up control, I'm giving up certainty, I'm giving up status. And so in my mind, I was like, this It really feels wrong. It really feels scary. But what happened was we unleashed the passion and the creativity of, you know, first the officers and then the chiefs and then pretty soon all 135 sailors. And not only did the ship do very well in the immediate, but the real story in my mind is what happened over the next 10 years where, uh, we had 10 of our officers got uh, selected to be captains of other nuclear submarines, which wow. is a huge, yeah, it's a huge number. I mean, there are only 14 officers in a wardroom. So, I mean, it's just a hugely disproportionate number. And what happened, it's this legacy of creating more leaders. And for me, it happened because I was thrust in this situation and and I was basically forced. I call it um, no, uh, no all but tell not. In other words, the mindset is, you, you want to know your job and you want to know the details, but you sort of have this mindset of, well, maybe I don't know. And when guys come to you with problems, you say, well, you know, what would you do? Uh, and, you know, it's so tempting to solve those problems and, you know, issue orders. All Oh, I've seen this. Yeah, we need to do that. And it's always faster and you get to, you know, you get the ship moving down the road, but you, what you're not doing is you're not building leaders and you're not building your legacy. So that kind of in a nutshell for your listeners is is my story. And the basically, what happened was everything I thought, you know, if you take that sort of flipping mindset that we, uh, you know, I should be giving control, not taking control, basically everything that we thought was good about leadership becomes bad. You know, all our habits, all our rituals, and all those things are basically set up and designed to take control and accrue power to the top.
0: Yeah. And you, I, I know you've been working with companies. Um, I can tell you we've had dozens of companies, very, very large publicly traded companies that have contacted us and said, may we use the animation that you guys created for our senior leadership in our company. Yeah. Uh, Which is just phenomenal to me because it tells me that there's a hunger for this and and a dawning realization that this idea of empowerment um, is actually the right tact. It's ex- it's actually the right approach. Um, this top-down stuff, um, people keep condemning it, but man, it uh, it sticks and it has stuck. Where where do you think that mentality came from of this command and control type of structure?
1: Well, it it, it comes from the it comes from a long history of it basically working. And in my view, uh, I look back over the past five hundred years. And I look at the history of the Industrial Revolution, and basically for me, the history of the Industrial Revolution is a history of reducing variability. In other words, you know, imagine a nail. What, what did a nail look like 400 years ago when a craftsman hand-pounded it out with, an, with a hammer and an anvil? Well, there were, it, was, it was lumpy, and they were all slightly different. And now we're, we're making nails that are all almost nearly identical. And you can look at, you know, over and over, you know, gears, machinery, uh, you know, all these things. Basically, mm-hmm. the whole, the trick has been make these more and more things more and more alike, more and more processes. And that takes you down the path of command and control. It's about conformity and compliance. And it worked. You know, we, we achieved great things as, as a, as a race and, um people got rich, and we we taught, we wrote about those people in books and so that 's the mindset it 's wired kind of hard, hardwired into us as mammals. but now we 're in a different world uh, I think I think we 're in a world now where the the doing is- re- being replaced by thinking. The most important mm. thing that happens in any company today is thinking there's doing that happens, but it's the thinking that creates the business value right and so with thinking. So we've got this um, imprint of reducing variability. Our rituals, our have our to-do list, right? Not our, we don't have to think list. And right. then we we lay that on top of this uh, objective where we say, oh, and we really want you to think. Well, thinking is an embrace variability sport, right? We want people to think <laughs> diverse, creative, different things, but. We don't even know it, but because our behavior is all, you know, it's all guided, and our speech patterns are all guided towards reducing variability. We don't even know we're doing it, and so um, the perfect clients for us are people they say. We all say, "Look, I know this is a better way. It's not like I—I don't know. I mm-hmm. just, but I don't know how to do it. How do I give control to my people without having chaos?" So philosophically,
0: they—they yeah. they agree with it, and they realize that their people are probably capable of a whole lot more than they're doing but yeah. there there's a fear factor the same one that you experienced and and right. you're, you're sitting on the you know world's most dangerous piece of equipment. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right, we had to do it cuz you know for me it was like well we're going to die if we don't do it so I was forced into it and a lot of companies they say, well, I, you know, help me create a burning platform with my people because the world's changing around us and you know, we got upstart competitors and disruptors are putting us out of business. And I thought, well, that's great. You can do that. You can create sort of this fear-based approach to change. But how about this? How about we, we just paint a picture of how awesome it could be to work, to come to work, how awesome it could be to express our creativity as human beings, how awesome it would be if I came to work and actually made decisions that mattered. Uh, you know, so in other words, I'm moving towards an awesome new world that I can imagine, not, oh, I'm forced away from it. I was forced off of it because of this, you know, fear, fear-based fear thing. Yeah. That's what it took me. But I hope for my story, you know, uh, people say, well, I don't need to wait for that to happen.
0: Well, and you see this. Th- this is changing, all right? I, I know you know Bob Chapman. Bob's got a book. um called Everybody Matters, and it's really focused on the people side of things. There, this, this message is uh, being more and more consistently conveyed in our culture that stop thinking of human beings as machines. Right. Where you need to punch in orders and then you get out the output that you're seeking given the input that you put in. Um, I, I, there's something really compelling about what you're doing because it recognizes something unique about the human person. There's something unique, and that is that creativity side. I, right. I, I you and I, in a conversation one time, um, <laughs> you, you mentioned to me there was a point in the industrial age where really the people in control felt like, if I could chop off the heads of the people that work for me and I could yeah. just keep their hands moving, right? Um, that would be fine. That would be perfect. That would right. be. I mean, we're, we're we're going 180 degrees away from that, but I think we're also um, Rehumanizing uh, how what we think of work and how work should be structured and how we think of the creative part of that. So there's there's a there's a philosophy going on here that's uh, that that's really compelling and attractive. I hope.
1: Yeah, and I think it's sort of this time in human history. I mean, you know, machines have replaced much of the drudgery. You know, when well, now we have washing machines and dishwashers and vacuum cleaners and a lot of the human toil thankfully has been has been removed and so as a you know as a race as a point in history we're sort of released and 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 it's not like you know i always have this uh, argument with people about millennials and millennials are different right you know Mm -hmm. and i and i'm just because i'm tend to be like provocative and well well if everyone is saying one thing it's probably wrong (laughs) so i like you know what millennials are actually exactly the same sure well what do you mean it's like Do you think your grandfather wanted a job that mattered? Yes. Do you think your grandfather, you know, wanted meaningful life and wanted to leave a legacy? Yes. But he was living in a different time. And the average house size was 1,500 square feet. And there were four kids living there. You know, and and our grandparents were much more concerned about getting us fed. People starved, you know, less than 100 years ago in the Great Depression. People were You know, not we have issues now in America, but many more people were like they were starving, right? So, so you're not like I'm not interested in like what you know what moves you. You know, Uh, who cares? I got to feed you first. But for the for you know in in large measure, we've kind of overcome that for the vast majority of. Of Americans and that frees that allows us and makes these other things more important to us. Like the, the DNA of the human race has not changed in a hundred years. The things that matter to us now matter to us before. But the way millennials they have different opportunities. And the way the way they're sort of demanding to be treated, I think, is they're the canary in the coal mine. That's the way we should treat everybody. Right.
0: Their expectations are different. Yeah. Yeah. And their expectations are no different than the hopes and dreams of people a hundred years ago. It's just, that wasn't real. There's a, I'm going to screw it up, but there's a great quote. And I think it's, I think it's John Adams. And he said, I study war so that my uh, children can study um, engineering and science so that their children can study art and aesthetics. Right, right,
1: right, right, right. That
0: sort of progression that I, you know, right now we're in a fight and, you know, or, you know, it might be, be against the British, or it might be uh, you know it might be just the the fight to survive, the fight to stay alive, and right. uh, you know a bit of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You don't you don't have that opportunity to do that, but it the the you know the the industrial revolution, the the changes that have occurred in our culture and the way we make things and how we do things and the technology, um, we're finally maybe to an age where at least in the United States, it's certainly not true everywhere in the world but we're at least to a point where we can begin to uh, to appreciate some of those things and what people used to dream about um now people expect but to your point the hope and the expectation from 100 years ago to a millennial today really hasn't changed.
1: Yeah, that that's what I think. I mean, um sure, you know, I have three kids, they're all in the 20 uh, in their 20s and you know, to say, am I ever frustrated that I don't sense sort of an entitlement mentality? Of course, you right. know, uh, that happens. But geez, you know, we didn't do the same thing. Uh, so, so anyway, your, your
0: parents thought the same thing to you
1: anyway. Oh, oh, for God's sakes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so for me, it's not an issue of, um, you know this is different, or you know this is some new thing that we 've discovered, but re- you know really it 's an issue of the time is right, and how do we how do we create it and Oh by the way, um, you know talk about hierarchies for a minute. you know we humans are mammals we 're hierarchical animals, and so there 's going to be hierarchy, and the issue is like how do you use the hierarchy so for for example. Hmm. Typical hierarchies push information at the bottom of the hierarchy to authority at the top, and we say, "Well, you know what? Let's flip that idea. Let's let's push the authority for making decisions down to the people who natively have the information." So, if you have the, there's there there becomes a much less uh, delay in making decisions. Your organization becomes much more resilient, much faster, much more agile. All these sort of buzzwords, but really, what it really means is. I'm letting people at the periphery of the organization make much more significant decisions. Ooh, that's scary. Yeah, of course it, yeah, is, it is. But but uh <laughs> but you know or you can be out of
0: business in five years. So right. you know, take your pick. So you've been uh <clears throat> you've been working with companies. You've you've been traveling, uh you and I had a little conversation earlier that yeah. you've been traveling around the U.S., you've been traveling uh really throughout the world, meeting with business leaders, talking with business leaders what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What what patterns are uh, showing themselves to you?
1: Well, first of all, there's this sort of um, consistent um, urge to this consistent need to release the creativity of the people. Uh, there's uh, an executive told, mentioned to me, the word presenteeism, uh, the other day, you know, as people come to work, they're quote present, but they've left, the, you know, their brains behind. Yeah. And this is pretty universal. I had a interesting, um, few days in China where I had a meeting with a bunch of Western essentially expat business owners. And they were telling me, well, that's great. But, um, quote Chinese people just want to be told what to do they don't really want to take initiative they're different well okay so then that evening i went to the university and i was speaking <laughs>
0: and I'm like and i, and Wait, I You I, actually I, spoke to chinese people
1: okay yeah yeah, yeah yeah it was super cool you know yeah. and I, and you know, it was that, like <laughs> jerry like there was this moment i had my slides up and i was about to go through my sort of standard thing and i i was looking at this auditorium of chinese students and i said you know you know screw that, you know? And and I said, let's just have a conversation. So I'm going to have a conversation with 300 Chinese people. People, And I said, look, here's what people are telling me. A, you're not going to ask any questions. B, um, when I say let's have a conversation, there's going to be dead silence. And C, Chinese people just want to be told what to do. And I said, talk to a partner for 60 (laughs) seconds, and then we're going to have a conversation. And as soon as I said, go – the room just erupted oh, wow. in noise, and I was supposed to be there for like an hour. I was there for two and a half hours, and all we did was just have a conversation, and it was awesome. And of course, like, they're human beings too, of and course. so there are cultures where I think this is harder and it'll move slower, but as human beings, right, What at the end of the day, I'm going to put a tombstone up that says, I did a great job. I, I did what I was told, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, no, no one wants that. uh, So um, there's, I think there's this universal urge. People, some, sometimes I I get people say, oh, well, you know, it's not me. The change all has to happen outside my office. And I'm always skeptical about that because it's hard to get, you know, see how, how you're, you're doing things because you're doing patterns that we don't even recognize. So I say, okay, that's great. Hey, let's go get some coffee. Sure. And then we're about to order. I said, look, here here's the deal. I'm gonna order for you. Okay, well this is what I want. No, 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 no. I'm gonna order for you. I'm gonna pick you <laughs> Well, you you know, I said, Well, so you're a control freak. I can't even you won't even let someone order coffee for you and you're telling me you're letting your people make decisions. <laughs>
0: you know, so we kind of blow that up and we
1: we you know, have fun. Yeah. The
0: the the stats, I mean, just in the United States, the stats on uh engagement at work are terrible. Yeah. You know sixty seventy percent of people are saying I am absolutely not engaged at work i yeah. I truly left my brain and probably my personality <laughs> at home, and my creativity uh you know at the gas station on my way here i i 'm not showing up with everything I got I'm not uh, passionate about what I do uh, you know so we we see this you know the attractiveness of the philosophy of this, yeah. but the reality is is that people are horribly disengaged.
1: Look, the the step one is it's very easy. Just give your people the more ability to make decisions. Just give them more decision making ability. Leaders always say, well look, when my people are trained and when they really understand, then I'm going to release some modicum of decision making authority to them. You know, grudgingly. And it's like that's the path to stagnation. What you have to do as a leader cuz you don't know what the what, what the gaps are until you actually say, look, we're going to make a decision next week about i Z. I'm, this is going to be you. And it doesn't need to be a light switch. You could say, you know, in the past you provided input. Now I want you to come to me with these words I intend to, yeah. or, you know, maybe, maybe that's too much of a jump, but you, we, you can move them up the ladder of leadership. Yeah. And with the idea that, hey, when you give people the ability to make decisions, that engages their brain. Don't say, oh, please
0: engage your brain, and then I'll give you decision-making ability. That, that, that doesn't work. Well, think in, in parenting. You've got three kids in their 20s. i got three boys um, yeah. all in their 20s. I mean, if I want them, them to become totally dependent on me, I will yeah. make every decision for them until right. they demonstrate that they are fully functioning adult males. Right, right, right. Uh, and if I never give them the opportunity to do that, Right. then the reality is they'll never do it and they'll always be dependent on me. And I kind of have a self-replicating circle here that I've, I've created a mess. Exactly. And I think, you know, Bob Chapman
1: talks about this in his book. And, you know, just like parenting, the objective is to move your kids who you love on a path from dependence to independence. I mean, basically, that's kind of what every leader I think uh, wants to do with with love and empathy because you want to make them, uh, you know, self sufficient, achieving people in the world. But too much, too many times, our ego or our fears or our habits get in the way. And we want it to be better. I mean, do you, you, ever, you ever have a guy leave the organization and he, it turned out he had a bunch of secrets and, you know, things were going well because he was running around and we say, oh, gee, you know, John left it. You know, things are kind of, you know, we really miss John. Well, that's
0: narcissism. That's mm-hmm. not leadership. Right. Right. You know? So as you see this growing, um, what do you think the world's going to be like in 10 years, 15 years. And you think I mean you you you're seeing this around the world obviously you're yeah. traveling around the world. So yeah. the desire to implement this is uh is is the awareness of it and and the desire to implement it is clearly there. Um what does <laughs> life look like if yeah, we can switch those stands.
1: Right. So uh, I think Mark Twain said making predictions about the making predictions is <laughs> p- perilous, especially about the future. Mm-hmm. Look here, here's what I, I see. A couple of things. Um, one, I see more and more of humanity li- being lifted from drudgery and doing things that matter. I see more, a greater and greater percentage of the, the untapped brain power of the world uh, able to be applied to some of these really tough uh, issues we have with population growth and climate control and, mm-hmm. uh, and violence. And, and so I see, like, really wonderful and amazing things happening there. I, you know, I also see a, a bigger and bigger um, gap I guess to say between the people who are at the top and, and everybody else. I mean, it's such a connected world now. So like, I'm a big fan of Taylor Swift. Okay. So that's a little secret that we just let out, but I want you to know, I'm really, really (laughs)
0: uncomfortable with that, but go on.
1: So she's awesome. Right. She is. But but so she's got you know you can look at some of her songs over a billion views on uh, YouTube Crazy. multiple songs so she's a global and and any and any if you're the best in whatever it is it's a global phenomenon a hundred years ago a a singer in Sydney Australia didn't need to worry about Taylor Swift right right, right. Uh, and so now or or a manufacturing company or Whatever, because the world is much more segmented, and, and so now what happens is the pe you know, um, not that this is evil, but the, you know, the the best in the world are just have so much more influence and power and authority. you know, whether it's <clears throat> Apple or Facebook or Google, than than the rest. And so what happens is, uh, you know, this sort of scale of the, the richest people versus everybody else. And I kind of worry because if you're not technologically savvy, right. um, you know, you're just, you're going to be out of it. You're just not going to be a, a player I, I, right now. Like I have this conversation with my kids. I say, you know, if you want to, if you want to have a, tell me what to do job, in other words, if I can define your tasks and tell me what to do, way I can go and I can outsource them to Pakistan and pay like fifty cents an hour, literally. I yep. say, do this, 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 this. They do it and they send it back. Or you can mechanize it. Yeah, know. or I, yeah, or I build a computer algorithm that does it right. Versus, uh, if you come to me with, "Hey, this is what you need. This is what you, this is what I intend to do." While well, that thinking is very, you know, that's a hundred times more valuable. Right. Right. And so. Uh, I just I worry a little bit that that this chasm is going to get um, it's going to get wider before it gets narrower.
0: Yeah. Um, when we do these podcasts, I always ask uh, the same question toward the end, and that yeah. is, "Tell me." Part of what we do at university is tell stories. We, we're yeah. so thankful we had the opportunity to tell yours. Yeah. Um, tell us your favorite story. Well.
1: Um, my, I am fortunate now because we've been interacting with companies for a couple of years so now we're getting to hear stories from them stories of people who withdrew their resignation stories of people who love uh, coming to work one of my favorite stories is about the University of Kentucky baseball team uh, where the batting coach read my book a couple years ago they were at the bottom of the league and he says, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I'm doing. The kids come up to bat, and I tell them exactly what to do. So I'm going to stop doing that. And the kids would come up to bat, and instead of saying, well, here's how I want you to handle this picture, he said, well, you know, what's your plan? And the kids were like, uh, <laughs> yeah. But they're pretty smart. They're like, well, I'm going to you know stand close to the plate. I'm going to choke up. You know, whatever it is. Right. End of the day, they went from worst to first the very next year. They signed a kid to the majors for over really? a million yeah over a million bucks, which is the first time that happened coming out of Kentucky and this uh, assistant coach got hired to be um, head coach at a different college and it really like the 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 power of the story is that it went from being about the coach to about all these kids and what they could achieve when they you know, engage their brains and when they had – when they felt that they were the ones in charge of their their future. And so, you know, I like it because it's a sports story and kind right. of everyone gets it, but we see it happening and in, in all different levels We like uh, uh, of corporations from a research facility where over 50% of the people have PhDs to fast food restaurants uh, like, you know, McDonald's where – People sort of are at the other end and but they but they they come from this highly tell me what to do environment and they're saying well look I'm giving you the authority you know do what's right for the customer and it's just amazing some of the some of the things that we're seeing
0: that's awesome um, <clears throat> so captain David Marquet I mean uh, thank you for your time incredible to uh, to to have an opportunity to talk with you again um, I always say this when I when I meet you, because I'm reminded of it every time, thank you for your service to our country. And uh, thank you now for uh, the, the thoughts that you're injecting into this culture and into the business culture as we rethink how we do business and uh, how we treat people. So thank you very, very much for your time today, my friend.
1: Alright, sure, Jerry. Great. And we'll connect sometime. I'll come visit or whatever. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> You're in Florida,
0: so I may come your yeah, way when yeah. it's warm Yeah, Come my way in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah, I dig it. I, I, I can get on board with that. So all right, thank you, sir. Have a great day. The Great Minds Series podcast is brought to you by Innoversity, a creative, storytelling, and online training company. Big brains, great stories. Let university tell your story today. Thanks for listening to the Great Minds Series podcast. I'm Jerry Zanstra, and make it a great day.